What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. All of my fantasy content goes out on Twitter. These podcasts, my articles, all of my threads, obviously, everything is on Twitter. So go ahead and check us out over there. Like I said, at JoeOrico99. We'd also really appreciate if you guys could hit the five-star review button, even the four-star, just some kind of positivity coming our way would help us to move up search results. And we're still fairly new here. We're like four or five months in. So any kind of uh, boost in our search results, we could really use. So just takes a couple seconds. That's it for the speech there. Just really hope you guys hit the five-star button. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. As you guys know, it is the all-star break, so we don't have actual games to go over tonight. There were some games from yesterday, but I think we're going to do things a little bit differently here. Uh, I've talked a lot on Twitter and even on the podcast about players to be adding, constantly talking about players to be adding, and I wanted to do something a little bit differently. So I'm going to be going over the top players so far to this point of the season. And I'm going to be doing that looking, first off, this is going to be five by five category rankings. So it'll be similar to points, but it's not going to be exactly uh, what we're talking about here. It's not going to be exactly the same because there are differences I do prefer category leagues. I know a lot of people play points leagues, but I think that it makes more sense to go over category. They are more popular. And I, I just think overall it makes more sense to talk about what a person's done in each category as opposed to just saying they average 17 fantasy points a game. Like I'm going to go into a little bit more detail than that. Obviously, if someone has been an elite category player, they're still going to be an elite points league player and usually vice versa. You do have some kind of outliers. Occasionally, if a guy hits a lot of home runs with a terrible average, sometimes he won't be a great a category league player, but we're going to get into all that here. So I have the Fantasy Pros page open with their ADPs from the beginning of the year. We have, they list out ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, uh, RT Sports, which I honestly don't really know what RT Sports is. Um, yeah, I've never played Fantasy on there. never really heard of them, honestly, but Fantrax, NFBC, RTS, Yahoo, CBS, and ESPN. And what they do is they list out individually the ADPs from those particular channels or those sites, I should say. And then they also have an average based on all of those sites together. So I'm going to be going through, I'm thinking top 25 today. Sometimes I ramble, you guys know that. So I might have to uh, cut it shorter or maybe we'll go a little bit longer. Who knows? This will be two parts today and tomorrow. We're going to be going over, hopefully between the two of them, the top 50 fantasy players so far this season, talking about their value relative to where they were being drafted and just get into a little bit of why they've been good so far this season. So we're going to kick it off here. Now, it has bounced around a little bit who is the number one player. For quite a while, it was Aaron Judge. Then it was Shane McClanahan for a while. And now in these last couple of days, Judge has overtaken that number one spot. He is right now the number one player in all of fantasy. And it's not really much of a surprise. He's been unreal. He's already got nearly as many home runs as last year with 33. 70 RBIs. Last year, he had 98. He's stolen more bases than he did last year. He's stolen eight bases. Last year, he only stole six. It's hard to really even know where to begin with Aaron Judge. He leads the league in runs. He leads the league in home runs. He leads the American League in RBIs. Uh, he's, I don't know that a triple crown is likely because his batting average is still 40, 50 points below the leaders in the American League. Uh, I think he is somewhere in the top 20, he's 20 exactly for batting average in the American League. So a triple crown is probably not going to happen. Luis Arise and Rafael Devers are very high up there, 338 and 324 respectively. I doubt that they're going to get caught. 
Not to say that it's impossible if Judge turns it on in the second half, but I'm not really expecting it. That doesn't really matter, though, because he has just been that elite. His average is still 284. It's not like he's giving you a dud in that category. Uh, One of the huge things for me, though, is the steals. He's stolen more bases than he had already last year. And when you're drafting Aaron Judge, you're probably not really thinking you're going to get – I mean, maybe the steals are somewhere in there, but that doesn't really factor into the equation of why you're picking him. They've just kind of been an added bonus this year. And his career high in steals is nine. He's already at eight. So pretty much a guarantee that he's going to beat that. He also has not been caught stealing this year. It's the first time in his career he has not been caught stealing. There is still some some game to go. Uh, and odds are he maybe will be once or twice. But that's just such a nice little bonus there, regardless of your format, to have on top of the elite power numbers, the eight steals. So when we're talking about where he was being drafted this year, in ESPN leagues, he was the 36th overall pick. CBS 24. Yahoo 25, uh, NFBC 32, Fantrax 25. He averaged out to the 28th overall pick this season across the main fantasy sites. Unbelievable value. Now, some people, I've heard a couple people say over on Twitter, like, if you, I should have taken Aaron Judge first overall. It's like, no, you shouldn't have taken him first overall. It doesn't matter if he is the first overall player. And I hear this argument a lot in basketball, in, in fantasy basketball, which is really where my origins come from in fantasy sports. Fantasy basketball was the first one I played. And a lot of times you'd see a guy get drafted in the second round or the third round, or maybe late first round, typically first, second round there. And you find somebody who is the number one overall player who was being drafted, you know, 15th or something. And it's like, oh, I should have taken him first overall. It's like, well, you could take somebody else first overall, and then that player is still sitting there in the second round possibly. So, I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. Looking back on it, you have to have drafted the person where they ended up being valuable. So uh, even for a guy like Julio Rodriguez, you wouldn't have had to have reached and drafted him where he's end up, ended up, which is like the second round, when he was being drafted. I mean, it varied throughout draft season. We weren't sure about his situation. But he bounced from like the 200s into the 80s. It's like, if you had drafted him at pick 20-something this year, yes, it would have worked out for you, but it wouldn't have been very smart because you can get him so much later. So I, that's something I wanted to get out there. I don't really subscribe to that whole looking back on it. He should have gone in the first round. He should have gone in the second round, which I understand why people do that. But at the same time, you could have taken Judge in the third round this year and still had a couple of guys ahead of him. You could have had... I don't know, a pitcher and about you could have had Garrett Cole and like a Kyle Tucker or something and then taking Judge in the third round. Like, I think that would have made a lot more sense than people who I've seen saying, I wish I'd taken so-and-so first or I wish I wish I'd taken Paul Goldschmidt in the first round. It's like you would not have needed to do that. It doesn't really make sense. Anyway, let's move on from Aaron Judge. He's been absolutely elite. There is no stopping him at this point. Uh, slightly colder over the last month with only a 218 batting average, but the home runs have been there. The steals have been there. You can't complain about what he's given you this season. Very likely AL MVP. It'll be between him and Otani, I would imagine. Should be a lot of fun down the stretch. The number two player this year, Shane McClanahan. Now, this is where we start to get to the massive values because McClanahan was not being drafted anywhere near the top here. His ADP was 106 across all the major formats. The highest there was on fan tracks where he went 93, but it was 102 on ESPN, 110 on Yahoo, 105 in the NFBC. People weren't really expecting this at all from McClanahan. Last year, he showed us elite strikeout numbers with a good ERA and a fairly solid whip. He wasn't 
I mean, he blew you away in strikeouts for sure. There were some starts where he had like eight strikeouts through three or seven strikeouts through three, and you're like, holy shit, like this guy, this guy can miss some bats, which is always a key indicator of how successful a guy is going to be. Are they able to miss bats? Yes, ground ball pitchers are nice, but if you can get a guy who is able to avoid contact like McClanahan is, it's, it's, it's a telltale sign of success. And now, I didn't think he was going to be this good. I, I love Shane McClanahan last year. I had him in a couple of spots, and I thought we were going to get, you know, similar production what we got last year, mid-threes ERA, high strikeouts. He, so far this season, has a 1.71 ERA, a .80 whip, 147 strikeouts in 110 innings, and he's already matched his 10 victories from last season. From pick 106, absolutely absurd value, the number two ranked player. And just quickly to touch back on that point, if you had taken McClanahan in the first round, yes, he's provided first-round value, but it's it's stupid thought. I hate when I see people say that because he was being drafted after pick 100. So if you'd taken him in the first round, you would have been a nut job regardless of where he's ended up. That's just something that I, I hate seeing out there. I really hate it. I won't mention it again. Just something, another example there to further prove the point. McClanahan, I've seen a lot of people say that they're not really worried about him, and I tend to agree. At the beginning of the year, I was a lot more worried with his innings. He's already just about at the innings limit that he had last year. Uh, if you add in his playoff pitches last season, we're looking at like 129, 130 innings. He's already at 110. Now, the Rays have been very smart with him. They're not pushing him past 80-some-odd, 90-some-odd pitches, which I've really liked. I did talk about on a podcast, I don't know, uh, probably a month ago or so, that I was saying, if you can sell McClanahan and get back another first-round talent, I don't have a problem with it, really, just because down the stretch, I'm a little worried that they'll limit him, and we'll start to see four- and five-inning outings, which, I mean, at this point, it looks like even in four innings, he'd still have a ton of value. But I was a little bit worried about how they were going to use him. Now, seeing that they have been fairly smart with it, he's only hit 100 pitches one time this year, I think that he can be sustainable down the stretch, whereas Sandy Alcantara, who we'll talk about in a second, I'm a little more worried. They, they just throw him out there as much as he wants. It's like 140 innings or something already this year. That's a lot, and I worried more down the stretch about Alcantara, and we'll talk about him in a second. But McClanahan, uh, just to finish that point, I was thinking that he would make sense to trade. At this point, I think he'd be all right to keep as well because, yes, and I know what people are going to be thinking, I'm, I'm sounding crazy here saying he's all right to keep. Yes, he's the best pitcher in baseball. I'm just a little bit worried. All of this, especially in head-to-head, we're talking about the last couple weeks of the year is when it really all matters. Roto's a different story, but I play a lot of head-to-head. A lot of people I converse with who listen to the show, they play head-to-head. So there's a slight more focus there. And when you're getting into those last couple weeks of the season, you need everybody to be on point, pitching their best, going deep into ball games, you know, streaming only the best options, no bullshit. There's a chance once we get down to that last week or two of the season, when that will be the championship weeks, that he won't pitch quite as deep. Now, I'm not quite as worried about that anymore, but it's still something that I think we should be keeping in mind. Not that I'm saying you have to get rid of McClanahan, but I think it wouldn't be the worst idea to see what you can get back for him. Now, Granted, yes, we'll get to Alcantara in a minute. I would much more advise that with Alcantara. I'm a lot more worried about him. But we will get to him in a second. First, Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt has been a huge surprise this season. Yes, we know that he is a great player. He's been a great player for a long time. But we were not expecting him to be a top three player, which is what he's been to this point in the season. So he's got 20 home runs, 70 RBIs. He's stolen five bases, and he's batting three thirty-three. If you look back at where he was being drafted, he averaged out to the 46th overall pick. 47 on ESPN, 
44 in Yahoo, 45 in NFBC, right around that same range here if you're talking about a standard 12-team league somewhere in the fourth round. Now, I don't know that we're going to see him keep it up quite to this extent because we've seen some things that I don't like. His BABIP is, like, stupidly high, and I don't know if he'll be able to sustain it quite where he has to this point. Now, I think he'll still be... I think he'll still be a valuable player. No question, he'll still be an elite bat. But when you see that the BABIP is 388, it's always been high for him, but that's really, really high. You might see some correction there with the batting average going forward. That would be the only thing that I'd worry about to some extent. But there's not really much of a worry. He's in a fantastic lineup with a bunch of protection. Uh, and, and overall, he's still one of the best first basemen in the game. So I'm not worried... Uh, it's just something I thought I would note there that the BABIP is it's stupid high. 388 is stupid high. I think it's the highest in all of baseball. Just something to keep in mind there uh, as the season goes on. Not much to really say about Goldschmidt. He's been a fantastic value. Now, let's get to Alcantara. I really believe that there is an opportunity to sell him before we start to see. Not I'm not going to say the wheels fall off here, but I think that down the stretch, we'll see some more limited outings. When you throw that many pitches, it's really hard to stay healthy. It's just, especially in this day and age where they pitchers don't throw that many. Now, this will be his third season, assuming he gets there, which there's no doubt right now that he will, of 200 innings. Now, I'm, I'm counting the season where he threw like 198 innings because that's, for all intents and purposes, that's 200 innings. That's starting, that's a lot. That's starting to get a lot of, that's starting to be a lot of innings now for someone who is still fairly young, yes, but most pitchers in the game are not throwing this many innings. It's going to wear him down. It's just going to. 138 and a third is a, a crazy number, and he needs to be pitching deep into games in order to have value because, one, the Marlins don't win a lot of games. They just don't, and I wrote about it yesterday that they have won with him. Uh, just forgive me for a second as I pull this up here. So Sandy Alcantara, has, they've won 47% of games where Alcantara has pitched this season. Nine victories in 19 starts. That's with a 176 ERA. That just shows you how hard wins are to come by out in Miami. It's not like, you know, with the Dodgers where you'll see a guy like Tyler Anderson who's been very good, and maybe he's not a great example, but someone like that who has a bunch of victories when they're really not quite as good, it's just because their team is so good. So it's the complete opposite with Alcantara. You're going to have to fight and scrape for those victories. Down the stretch, I think we'll see him go shorter in games, which will limit his strikeouts, which are already not crazy high, his strikeouts, 123 of them in 138 innings. It's good. It's not elite strikeouts for sure. It's somewhere on the better half of average, but it's not something that blows you away. He needs to go seven, eight innings in those games in order to accrue those big strikeout numbers in order to have that value. So, yeah, I think that if you can trade Sandy Alcantara and get yourself back a first-round talent like a Trey Turner, like a Julio Rodriguez, you know, like a Freddie Freeman, somebody like that, I'd be all for it. I'm, I'm a little nervous down the stretch about what we're going to see. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll throw 240 innings and keep the sub-2 ERA, it's just, I'm not sold on that happening. It would be, it's pretty rare. When you see something like that happen, it's pretty rare, and it hasn't happened in a long time. You know, people don't throw those kind of innings anymore. We don't have Mark Burley in the league anymore, just 200 innings every season. Very rare you see someone throw that many innings and stay healthy the whole time. I'm worried. I'm a little worried about Sandy. Not panicking, but if you can try and sell him and get back another first-round talent, I'm all for it. 
Let's move on here to Justin Verlander, who he has really turned the clock back. This is like maybe not as good as he's ever been because his MVP season, I forget what year now, 2011 or something, was just uh, ridiculous. But we are seeing an extremely solid version of Verlander this year. So he was being drafted at pick 96. Actually, I don't even know if I mentioned with uh, Alcantara. So he was being picked on average pick 37, which you've gotten great value out of him there. Uh, roughly 37, 38 across all of these leagues. 37.8 is the uh, actual number here. With Verlander, he was picked 96.4. Now, he went pretty high in some NFBC main events. I was looking at this with Bubba last week. It was like 55 or something in uh, late main event drafts from February until early April. So people took some ballsy risks on him, took him in like the fourth round. Because a lot of those leagues are, I believe they're all 15 teamers. So you're picking him as your, like your first or second pitcher. That's a ballsy move, but it's paid off so far. He's the fifth-ranked player on the season. 105 on ESPN. He was being picked 68th in CBS, 111 on Yahoo. 90 is what he averaged out to in NFBC. So there wasn't a, a solid consensus with Verlander. He was kind of bouncing all over the place, missing all of last season. It was Tommy John. You don't know what you're going to get at the best of times with Tommy John, let alone someone Verlander's age. But he's been everything you could have hoped for and more. I think that there's a decent chance he comes away with the Cy Young just because there will be voters who are interested in the legacy component. And I think that's why I put a small bet on Clayton Kershaw to win the Cy Young. And it was like 60 to 1 or something. But I was like, okay, I'll put five bucks on this. There's the legacy aspect of people who see these guys at the end of their careers and they think, yeah, give them one more. You know, Alcantara and, and McClanahan have plenty of time to win Cy Youngs. Let's send these older guys off with a, with a Cy Young here. And Kershaw's not as old as Verlander, but he's definitely winding down a little bit, I'd say, despite how elite he still is. Uh, we saw him go like seven perfect innings again the other night. He's definitely in the wind-down stage, wind-down era of his career. So I would not be at all surprised to see either of those guys walk away with a Cy Young. But specifically Verlander, 189 ERA, 12 victories, sub-1 whip. Everything you could have hoped for and more. No, beyond anything you could have possibly hoped for this year. He's been about as elite as it possibly gets. And you see, this is the problem with me now. I wanted to get through 25 players today. I've been talking for 18 minutes, and we've gotten through five. So we'll see what we can get through. This might be 15 today, and then we'll keep going this week. We have a few days this week to play around with, so I'm not in any particular rush. I don't think you guys are either. Let's keep it going with Trey Turner. So Trey Turner was pretty much the consensus number one draft pick, regardless of where you were, with the one exception being ESPN, because ESPN, Otani was pretty much always going as number one. Otani counts as two players on ESPN. I've mentioned this before, but if you just play Yahoo and you are used to drafting one Otani, or you, you see two Otanis in the player pool, the pitcher and the hitter, ESPN, that is one Otani. Daily changes in ESPN, there's there's no question Otani's the number one. But in pretty much every other format, with the exception of fan tracks where he was the number two pick, Trey Turner was numero uno, and with good reason. Last year, he was absurdly good, 328 average, 28 homers, 32 steals. He's been just as good this season. He really has. The average is not quite as high, but everything else is there. He scored 54 runs. He's hit 14 homers. He's stolen 17 bases. He is still batting 306. He's no slouch. One thing that's going to have a huge jump from last year is the RBIs. 
So he's at 68. He was only at 77 last season. And a large reason for that is because he spent a good portion of the year with the lowly Nationals. And now he is with the Dodgers, usually batting second. I think he was batting third there for a while. But you're in a fantastic RBI spot here. No question for me that he'll get over 100 RBIs. I don't think 30-30 is going to happen, but it's completely possible. Like He does have solid power. He had 28 last year. He's hit about half of that. He's hit exactly half of that to this point this year. A 30-30 season with 100 RBIs and uh, a 300 batting average, pretty pretty legit. Uh, I hope Trey Turner gets an MVP at some point in his career. I'm not sure if he will because there's just very stiff competition in the National League. You know, Soto and Tatis and those guys are going to win MVPs eventually. I just really hope that Trey Turner does. He's probably my favorite player in all of baseball, certainly in fantasy, Trey Turner. Uh, after rostering him for a couple of years, I just – there's no one that I'd rather have on my team. And he's proven that again this year. It's very hard to recoup first-round value. And if you're looking at guys who were drafted in the first round, there are a few of them who have performed as first-round picks. But I don't think there's anybody who was drafted in the first round who has been as good as Trey Turner. So you've gotten what you wanted out of that number one slot, assuming you took him one, probably one, maybe two, depending on your league. But uh, pretty much consensus top two pick here, and he has lived up to it, which is very hard. Here's another guy, we'll move on, who was also in that first, not top two, but top five, and he's also lived up to it, and that's Jose Ramirez. He sent himself into the All-Star game, or not sent himself, but his last game before the break because of the postponement yesterday, it was a two-home run day with five RBIs on Saturday, just to remind you of what he's capable of, because he's been not quite as hot recently, but season stats to this point are 19 home runs, 13 steals, a 288 batting average, 75 RBIs. He's the seventh-ranked player on the year. His ADP was 4, 4.2 to be precise, across all leagues. Five on ESPN, four on Yahoo. Uh, what was it, two? He was the number two overall player drafted in NFBC leagues and number four on fan tracks. And he's lived up to it, like I said with Turner. It's very hard for these guys drafted in the first round to live up to that spot, and he has done it. I've always been surprised with how many bases that Jose Ramirez can steal because he doesn't look like a base stealer. He's a little on the heavier side. He's a little stout. You wouldn't expect him to be a base stealer, but he has been exactly that. <laughs> He's been, so far, 13 steals. It's not going to blow you away necessarily, but steals are really hard to come by. We've seen it every year. They get harder and harder. And, I mean, he's still top 10 in steals. It just it, my, per my perception on steals is still back from when I was a kid and you see guys stealing more regularly anyway, 50, 60 bags, which you're not really seeing anymore. 40 is about as high as you tend to get, 40 to 45. So he's on pace to hit you with 26, 27 like he did last year. You'll absolutely take that, no question. There's no complaints. There's really no complaints with Jose Ramirez. Uh, as a Jays fan, I was really hoping we were going to get him in the offseason, and for a while I thought we were. And can you imagine that Jays lineup if it was Jose Ramirez somewhere mixed in there and then you take away, I don't know, Kevin Biggio or somebody like that? Probably we wouldn't have seen the all-star season we've gotten out of Santiago Espinal. If Jose Ramirez was here, that infield spot would have not have been available likely. It's possible, you know, the whole multiverse thing, you set yourself down a different course if we get Ramirez. Who knows what would have happened, but... Hard to look back in anger with the way that Santiago Espinal has developed. So, yes, obviously it would have been nicer to have Ramirez. But we're doing okay here in Toronto. We had a decent series over the weekend. Granted, against that AAA Orioles or Orioles Royals squad, but I digress. Let's keep it going here. We've gone through seven. Let's try and get through 15 today. I think we can get through at least 15. 
and then we'll see where we go from there. So next up is Raphael Devers, who is the number eight player on the season. Complete, like not complete, just a fantastic value uh, from pick 14. It's rare. I've said it with the last couple of guys. It's rare to make up this value in the first couple rounds. You see injuries. You see different bullshit happening. We saw it last year with Mike Trout. You pick him in the first round, you got like 100 at-bats out of him, and that was it for the year. And we've seen a couple injuries this year. Obviously, Bryce Harper and Walker Bueller among the early draft picks. Uh, those are the notable ones. It is very hard to be able to actually reach that value. And we've done that so far with Rafael Devers and then some. 22 homers, 55 ribbies. He's stolen a couple bases. He's not a, known as a base dealer, but you'll take, a, you'll take the two bags. The huge, the huge part of his game is the 324 batting average. It's up from 279 last year. It's been a game changer for him in terms of his ranking. He was about the 20th ranked player last season, depending on your settings and format and everything, uh, roughly 20. And this year, so far, he is number eight. So uh, you will absolutely take that improvement. It is pretty much all because of his batting average. Great lineup around him, although we have seen some struggles from certain individuals like Trevor Story. No complaints. You can't complain about uh, about what he's given you here. Moved up uh, about six picks on average. So he was 13th in CBS, 18th on ESPN, uh, 15th in Yahoo, 13 in FBC. I personally have zero shares. I have zero shares of Devers, and I'm kicking myself because I could have got him in the second round in a couple leagues, but I took Walker Bueller instead. So shame on me. Let's keep it rolling here with Corbin Burns. He's the number nine ranked player so far, and he has actually also lived up to that ADP. There's about, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, four players in the first round. You could argue Betts has been injured, like four players who've lived up to that ADP, just to put the cherry on top of that point. But Corbin Burns, pretty much, well, not pretty much, he was a consensus first round pick. Uh, the lowest that he was going on any site was 12th on CBS, uh, 7 on ESPN, 9 on Yahoo, 9 in NFBC, and 9 on Fantrax. What he's given you so far this season is totally worthy of the Cy Young. Like, I, he's, I don't know, him or Alcantara. I'm, I'm still I'm putting my chips in on the burn side of the table here because, like I said, I don't trust Alcantara down the stretch that he'll be able to do what Burns will be able to do. So Corbin in 113 innings, 144 strikeouts, 214 ERA, and a .90 whip. Can't go wrong at all. You'd like maybe a couple of more victories, sure. Uh, with the way he's pitched, you figure you should be able to bank on like at least 10 victories. But the Brewers have been, I don't know if you can say a disappointment necessarily. They're winning, they're leading the division. But I think we were expecting uh, some more victories from them overall. And offensively, they haven't really been scary. They haven't really done a ton when he's been pitching, when anybody's been pitching, really. They're 24th in batting average. They're 25th in hits. 15th in on-base percentage. They're kind of middling. You'd expect it a lot more. The one area they excel in is hitting home runs. And, you know, with Corbin Burns, you would figure he's made, I think, 19 starts? 18 starts. Seven victories, four losses. You'd figure it could be better. That's the one area you can really complain about. It's kind of a stupid complaint, but there are only five categories, and yes, stupidly wins are still among them. I'm not that big on quality starts as a replacement. I think there's definitely needs to be some discussion about the win and about a better category because it really doesn't properly show you what's going on with a pitcher. Maybe down the line, and maybe this is crazy, 
but maybe we could get some advanced stats in to the categories. I'm pe- some people would revolt. There is no question. Some people would absolutely, out of their minds, would go crazy. Imagine instead of wins, it was like, or instead of ERA, it was XFIP. Instead of wins, it was like expected. I don't know. I, I'd have to think about it. But can you just imagine for a second if it was all advanced stats for the 10 categories? Uh, God, I, I need to sit down and think about it. and Maybe I'll tweet it out later about what they would be exactly. But I think that that would be interesting. I think it would definitely give you a better picture of, you know, who has actually drafted the best team here as opposed to who got lucky with some victories and things like that. I think that's an interesting thought, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because I do want to get through a few more players here. Just something to gnaw on. Wins kind of suck. Anyway, let's keep it going here. Tony G, Tony Gonsolin. I don't know that there's been a better value pick this season. His ADP across all the sites was 269, and he's the 10th ranked player this season. 11 victories, and like going back to the wins thing, that's a huge part of his value. He doesn't have a huge strikeout numbers. Yes, the ratios are great, but those 11 victories, they really help you out here. 86 strikeouts in 93 innings. Strikeout rate has actually gone down from last year, which is something to keep in mind. The 2.02 ERA and .84 whip are obviously elite. Now, we saw him give up five earned runs his last time out, and I don't think it's going to be a terrible second half from Gonsolin, but he's definitely going to regress. Uh, some of the numbers we've seen are just ridiculous from him. He's leaving literally like everybody on base who gets on base. Uh, it is 86.5%. His BABIP is only one point, or sorry, point one nine seven. And to be fair, his, his uh, left on base percentage is always very high. It's 81.7 for his career. It was 86% last year. So he's just, just good with leaving guys on base perhaps, but it's still going to fall down. No one does that consistently. That's like beyond elite numbers. And he's a very good pitcher, but he's not an elite pitcher. Uh, the 197 BABIP last year was 250 for his career. It's 220. It will get a bit higher. Still very good numbers in those areas, but he's not this good. He's just not this good. His XFIP is 3.71, which is closer to what you can expect in the second half. If you can trade Gonsolin, and I think you probably can, despite the rough start recently, uh, you should be able to get a nice little return for him. So I'd go out and I'd be very actively, aggressively trying to shop Gonsolin here at the deadline. Let's move on to Freddie Freeman, who was being drafted right around here, right around this point. Uh, his ADP was 12.4. He's the 11th ranked player on the season. 13 homers, 59 ribbies. He's already almost matched his steals from last year. He had eight last year. He's got seven this season, and he's batting 321. Over the last month, Freddie is the number one ranked player in fantasy on the backing largely of his 400 average, 25 ribbies, eight homers, egregious that he just got added to the all-star game just just a bullshit process the all-star game is such a joke uh i, I kind of made a joke about it in my article i said like baseball's best and paul blackburn will be gathering for the all-star game and it's true because paul blackburn does not deserve to be there uh over kevin gosman like are you are you freaking kidding me like Gosman has been one of the elites in Major League Baseball. Over the last month, Blackburn has a 746 ERA, 362 for the season. Uh, Gosman on the year, 287 ERA, one of the best wars in baseball. It's stupid. The All-Star game is bullshit. But anyway, Freddie Freeman, he was being drafted as the ninth pick on ESPN, 11 on CBS, 12 on Yahoo. The only places where he wasn't going in the first round, NFBC, he was 18, and uh, Fantrax, 16. 
not really sure why he was so much lower there than we saw him on ESPN, for instance, or any of the other places. He was, I mean, and there's a possibility, and I actually just as I say this, I remember it now, he signed pretty late. So I think some people might have been a little bit cautious about where he was going to be going. And then once he went to the Dodgers, people were like, oh, shit, like there's no better place for him to have gone for fantasy value. Better start drafting him. And people did start to draft him. So now not much to say, really. He's right on his ADP pretty much, 12.4 ADP, 11 season rank. That's right where you wanted him. The average has been great. The home runs have not been quite as great as we would have expected, but those have come on recently here. Uh, no question that he's going to be a first-round talent rest of season. Let's round out the end here of round one with Dansby Swanson. Another guy who is playing out of his mind. It's a contract year. He's another guy I would be selling high on. I don't expect this to continue long-term. I mean, it's continued longer than I expected it even to this point. But I think I would try and bank the value he's given you. He was being drafted as pick 122. He was going as high as 116 in the NFBC. He was going as low as 144 on ESPN. Now, what he's given you is 15 homers, 53 RBIs, 14 steals, and a 294 average. The average has fallen below 300. It was above. It was above for most of the year. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, he's 15 for his last 58, and over the last week, five for 26 have dragged it down a little bit here. This is a classic contract year uh, surge that we see from different players. I don't know if players actually try harder in their contract year or if it's subconscious or what the hell it is. Swanson has been fantastic, and I think that he'll be fine. He's in a, one of the better lineups in baseball. They're really maybe even the best lineup in baseball, so there is not worry there. I just worry down the stretch. He's already hit his career high in steals. Those will probably slow down. Uh, he's on pace for a career high in homers. I don't know if we can really necessarily expect that. I'm a little cautious going forward about him, so I'd be trying to sell him. Like I said, he's the 12th-ranked player. He's first round. He has jumped his ADP by 110 spots. It's a victory. It's an absolute victory. Even if you hold him, you'll be able to beat that. He's going to finish inside the top 122, barring something horrible happening. Uh, no question there. I just worry a little bit about him sustaining what he's done for you so far. And you're kind of expecting, at this point, after so long of producing like this, you're thinking, okay, Swanson for me is going to be a top, at worst case, top two round player. And I don't think that is the case. I think that he will fall below that going forward. And I'd be trying to recoup some value there before he does eventually hit a snide, I should say. Uh, we've seen it a little bit recently. I'm worried that we'll see it more so after the All-Star break. So do what you can. Try and make a Dansby Swanson trade. I think that you'll thank me for it in the long term. Jordan Alvarez is the next guy we will talk about as we move into the second round of value here. Now, <clears throat> he should be really in the first round. Uh, he's missed time. And I'm going here by totals. This is not by averages because when you start to go by averages, just for a second, I'll humor you guys here. Uh, the number one player per average is Nick Maton for Philadelphia. Because he's had six at-bats, he's hit a home run, driven in four. Uh, if you break it down by averages, that's who would be the number one player. And I, I'm, you'd have to comb through a lot of stuff to actually get, uh, you know, who is the number one player based on minimum qualified plate appearances and stuff like that. I'm just doing it by totals. Who is giving you the most total value? Because at the end of the day, averages are nice, per game values are nice, but you want a player who is going to be able to give you consistency, who's going to be on the field, you know. It's it's a shame, but we've seen it with Bryce Harper. Uh, he is on this list as well. He's ranked uh, 20. He's the 25th player. He'd be higher if it wasn't for the injury. And, you know, it sucks that the injury happened, but 
it doesn't help your fantasy team that he's out because of that. He might as well be right now slumping for all the good it does your fantasy team. I hope that makes sense. I just, I'd prefer to look at totals because I feel like it gives you a more accurate picture of the value that the player is actually giving you. So with all that being said, let's take a look at Jordan Alvarez. I have a bunch of shares. I have him in my home league. Really happy that I do have him. 13th overall player this season from the ADP of 24. Even despite the time missed, which, I mean, it is a little bit concerning. I don't think he's going to play in the All-Star break. I think he'll take that time, or in the All-Star game, I think he'll take that time off. We need to see him healthy down the stretch. Obviously, that is very important. There's been a couple of scares here. Now, I forget what exactly happened originally to his hand, if it was hit by a pitch or something like that, but he's re-aggravated it now. He's on the injured list currently. With all that being said, though, 26 home runs, 60 RBIs, a 306 batting average, 57 runs. Elite. Absolutely elite in an elite lineup. Now, I've always really liked Jordan Alvarez. I've I've always, I mean, I know that more teams than just the Astros were cheating way back then. It's just something that's always kind of stuck in my head. And even George Springer coming to the Blue Jays, I really like George Springer, and part of that is because he plays for my team. But you never really forget about that kind of cheating stuff. Now, with Alvarez, he wasn't on the team at that point. So he is one of those Astros that I can actually go out there and say I'm a big fan of his. because, And Jeremy Pena is another one. It's just because for some reason in the back of my head, and it's the same thing with guys like Barry Bonds and Sosa and McGuire and even Roger Clemens, I just, there's always some kind of taintedness about them. And someone posted a video the other day on Twitter, I think, or Instagram, and it was Eric Gagne facing off against Barry Bonds in like 2004. It's like a great matchup, yes. Cy Young winner versus an MVP winner. Eric Gagne, one of our best Canadian baseball players. But it's like a complete juice fest, right? They're showing this like, wow, look at the talent on display. It's like, well, yes, but it's, it's a total juice fest going on at the same time. But with all that said, uh, Alvarez, none of that around him, none of the cheating. I think he came up the year after or two years after maybe. And yes, a bunch of teams are probably cheating and the Astros got caught and they're the one that looks like shit because of it, even though we know others like the Red Sox were also doing it. Shout out Alex Cora. But uh, for me, there's something that's more pure about Alvarez's game just because he wasn't involved with that. I don't know if you guys know what I'm saying here. Maybe some people in Houston are thinking, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. We won a World Series. And God bless you. I mean, if the Jays did that, if they cheated and won a World Series, then I'd be kind of disappointed. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to be given back the trophy. So I get it. There's just always, I've always elevated Alvarez above those other guys in my mind because he was not on the team at that time. Now, the big thing with him this year, obviously the power has been a nice boost. Uh, he's already got 26 home runs. Last year he had 33 home runs, and he's hit about half the at-bats he had last year. So that's very impressive. The batting average is also impressive, 306 compared to a 277 average last year. There was a good stretch of time there where he was hitting well over 400, slugging like almost 1,000. Like he was just absurdly good. Not too much else I need to say there. I know I went on a bit of a tangent there. You guys who listen regularly know that Sometimes I'll break off, and that's that's the thing when you're doing a show on your own. There's no one else here to kind of police me and bring me back on topic. So if I do veer off, I just veer off, and then once I remember uh, the original point, then I kind of come back to what I was talking about. I love Alvarez. I have a ton of shares. I'm really hoping that he's healthy in the second half because I need him. I need him on a lot of my teams. If he is not healthy, then I'm pretty screwed. So rooting for you as hard as possible here, Jordan. 
let's keep this list going now with Julio Rodriguez, who has remarkably returned just outside of first-round value. He is the 14th-ranked player. And it's hard to not put him into that same elite class as Juan Soto and as Fernando Tatis, as Ronald Acuna. And at this point, even like a step above perhaps Vladimir Guerrero Jr., even just from a fantasy perspective because of those steals. Now, actual hitter, who's a better pure hitter? I think it's still Guerrero. Uh, and that's evidenced by the fact that he's having a bit of a down year and he's still performing. He's not been amazing, Guerrero, but he's still ranked uh, like top 40. He's 45th. So he's been disappointing, and this is a down year for him, but it's still, it goes to show if this is a down year, then uh, still very promising for Vlad. But in terms of Julio, you got to see him as like a top 10 fantasy asset going forward for the next 10 years. And I know people might say 10 is kind of low, but if you're just projecting, it's very hard to really say. Is it going to be Soto? Is it going to be Tatis? Who is it going to be? There are a few guys on that list, and there are a few guys coming up who have potential to be on that list, like Corbin Carroll. I'm not so big into the fantasy, into the dynasty world, which is why I've kind of stayed away from the draft. I just don't really know the players in the draft coming up. I will try and familiarize myself with them more and more. This is more of a redraft podcast, though. But in terms of dynasty, there's there's not many players you would be preferring to have over Julio. Uh, his ADP this season, like I said, it jumped around. We didn't know if he was going to be on the roster coming into the season at first. Weren't sure what exactly was going to happen until I think it was February, March-ish. And then we kind of was like, it wasn't confirmed, but we kind of knew he was going to be on the team. Uh, so he kind of jumped up there. On the whole, averaging across all drafts, 200. His ADP was 200. And he jumped up in the end of March, I think, into the top 100 in a lot of places. But overall, you got him like very late if you were drafted, especially if you drafted early. Uh, that there can be good things and bad things with drafting early. Maybe you drafted Tatis, but maybe you also drafted Julio Rodriguez. So it does balance itself out a little bit. He has 16 home runs, 21 steals, 52 RBIs, 53 runs, a 275 batting average. I could be wrong, but I think it's 14 in a row for the Mariners, and it's hard to say that a guy like Julio with his energy and his performance has not driven that. So he's the number two-ranked player over the last month. Eight homers, four steals, a 292 average in that time period. Probably going to be, definitely going to be in the first round next season. When I had the Welsh on, when Chris Welsh, I don't know what we always call him the Welsh, even though his name is Chris. We had Chris Welsh on. We were talking about where Julio was going to be going next year. And he said there's even a chance that he could go 1.01 as the number one overall pick in the draft. It is, it is totally possible. I think that is not the most likely outcome. I think the most likely thing is probably you're still going to see uh, probably Acuna or, or maybe Tatis if he comes back healthy. If he comes back and it's just old Tatis for a couple of months, people will forget about the injury stuff and they'll draft him first. I think that you're, we're definitely getting to the point where you could make an argument for Julio top three, top five. Just because of those, that five-category production, very hard to come by. Let's keep it going here. He spent a lot of time on Julio. The next player is Austin Riley, and he is another one who was – it took a long time for them to put him on the All-Star roster. It just happened on Saturday. Or was it – yeah, I think it was Saturday they added him to the roster. Now, over the last two weeks, he's the number two-ranked player. The last month, number seven. For the season, number 15 on the backing of 27 homers, 61 RBIs. 
He's even stolen two bases for you, which is, I know, not a massive number, but he had zero last year. So you will absolutely take a couple of random steals here and there. He's also got a 285 average. Now, he's really been crazy over the last month, 355 batting average, 379 over the last two weeks. I think he just really wanted it. And he was not bad to begin the season, but he definitely was not this good. He's going to blow by his home runs from last year. His RBIs will be similar. The average will be maybe a touch lower. He'll blow by the runs. Uh, he's at 55. He had 91 last year. You drafted him at pick 41. And it was a little bit lower than you might have expected. He was a 30th-ranked player last season. You might have thought he'd go higher this year. He didn't really. Uh, 41 across all the leagues. It was 30 on CBS, 69th on uh, ESPN, 52 in the NFBC, 43 on Yahoo. It bounced around quite a bit with Austin Riley. But what you've gotten out of him has been elite production uh, from a player who is eligible at first and third. You got to love it. There's not really too much else to say on him either because he has done what you expected and then some. I know, like I said, the draft pick, the ADP was kind of low, but there was no reason not to expect a young player like him to build off of a season that he had last year. So I don't remember my position on Riley heading into the season. I have one share of him in a, one of my category leagues on ESPN. I like him as much as I like any young player, and I know that sounds kind of stupid, but there's just he's got a he's got a way about him, Austin Riley. He just gives you that air of confidence, and he is a winner, and he's going to be just fantastic for years to come. We saw it right away from his rookie year: eighty games, eighteen home runs. That power has always been there. The average has come around significantly. Next year, no reason to think he won't be drafted uh, top twenty-five or so. C.J. Crone is the next guy, and. Wow. Like, he was really good last year. He was, like, 28 homers, 92 RBIs, uh, 281 batting average. He's actually boosted that up another notch this season, and he was being drafted like a complete afterthought. And he was someone I do remember being pretty high on. In those first early shows that we did, he was someone I really wanted, and I got a few shares of him, not as many as I wish I had now. But, my God, 21 homers, 69 ribbies. He's batting 298. Uh, He's someone who's probably going to end up batting over 300. Whether that's because he plays at Coors Field or not, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. He's producing. He's going to beat his home runs from last year. He'll beat the R, uh, the runs. He'll beat the RBIs most likely, and he's going to beat the average. He was being drafted as pick 127, and he's currently the 16th-ranked player. 137 on ESPN. Uh, the lowest he was going, or the highest I guess he was going, was 119 on CBS. Uh, ridiculous value that he's given you so far. I'd expect him next year to jump up into that top 50, 60 range. You know, there's no reason why someone in Colorado who produces the power numbers that he does, as well as a good batting average, shouldn't be drafted a lot higher than this. After his year last year, I'm surprised it was this low, honestly. He was the 108th-ranked player last year, and his ADP was 127. I don't know why, really. Colorado added a couple of pieces. They also lost Trevor Story, so maybe that contributed to some degree. But really, it didn't make sense going into the year. And it makes even less sense now seeing how he's performed. Let's keep it going with Pete Alonso. He is the 17th-ranked player this season. Home runs are there. The RBIs are there more so than we've ever seen them, really. He's leading the major leagues with 78. A couple of steals, a 265 average. Everything you could have hoped for with Pete Alonso, and then some because he's actually beaten his ADP, which was 44 uh, when it's high as 30, oh, Jesus, I can't really, I hate this. I hate using these like high and low stuff when you're talking about numbers because it could be interpreted multiple ways. The highest pick that he was drafted or the highest average pick was 34 on CBS. 
And the lowest was on Yahoo, where you could actually get him at pick 50. So that was great value. If you did pass up on like a Vlad in the first round, then or even like a Freddie Freeman, you could have still got great value waiting until the fourth here with Pete Alonso. So great stuff out of him. You expect more the second half. Uh, he's going to be in the home run derby tonight looking for his three. Uh, through, listen to me. He's looking for his third straight home run derby champion trophy, whatever. Uh, I'm hoping that they avoid the three Pete, like P-E-T-E thing, if he does win. It's just a headline. You can see it. You can just see it already. Three Pete, as in Pete Alonzo. I hope that it doesn't happen. I hope, well, Not that I hope he doesn't win, but I hope that headline doesn't happen because it's very corny stuff. But anyway, let's keep it going now. With our first Blue Jay on the list, the top Jay this season so far has been Alec Manoa. He was being drafted about pick 90, which makes sense. Uh, I thought maybe he'd go a little bit higher because last year he was just that good in such a small sample size. He's pitched more innings than he did last year now by three. Uh, he's got one more victory than he had. He's got 10 wins, uh, 103 strikeouts in 114 innings, a 228 ERA, and a .96 whip. Now, I've seen some people recently saying that Manoa is not as good as we've maybe hyped him up to be. That's not true. That's just bullshit. And that's, I think, from people who haven't watched him as much because I've watched every single Alec Manoa start. Like, I watch all the Blue Jay games. I try and watch as many baseball games as possible. But when there's an Alec Manoa start, that is absolute appointment viewing. And, yes, he had a bit of a rough one in Oakland and a bit of a rough one against the Yankees. A couple of rough starts, boosted the ERA a bit. It's still a 228. I mean, there's, there's no worries here. Pitchers are bound to have a couple of rough starts. I mean, I've seen some people saying, yeah, sell Manoa now. He's a big sell. I don't agree. I think that he's going to have great value down the stretch. Just watching him pitch every single, not every single day, every five days, it's a complete treat to see how he works. Even when he's off, even when he's not pitching at his best, he's almost always able to get through six innings with good strikeouts and keep batters off a of base. So, yes, a couple of rougher starts recently. His ERA is still 2.28. And, yeah, the strikeouts are not quite as high as last year. We're still talking about the 18th ranked player here. So, come on. There's no uh, – I've seen. I've just seen some people recently kind of poo-pooing him, so I feel the need to defend him, partly because – from Toronto, and partly because he is just that good. There is no need to worry about Manoa going forward. He's going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball for the next several years. So, no need to be selling him because of – two bad outings that were stretched out over the course of like a month. I, I, just, I, I just don't get it. He's been fantastic. He'll be in the All-Star game. I hope he does well. Let's keep it going here with Shohei Otani. And this is the interesting part here because we're going through Yahoo ranks. Otani pitcher is ranked as the 19th player on the year. Otani batter is ranked 29. So there's two separate versions of this guy that are in the top 30. That's just ridiculous. Just wanted to point that out. Stupid. It's it's honestly stupid that he's been that good. Let's talk about where he was being drafted. Now, Otani pitcher, I think these rankings here average out Otani pitcher and Otani hitter. Uh, let's see. Am I correct about that? I am correct about that. Yes. So ESPN, he was the number one pick. CBS 7, uh, NFBC 7, Fantrax 5. It's hard to really say, um, depending on where you drafted him, what the value has been. Obviously, ESPN, yes, he's been the number one player in ESPN points leagues because he is two people in one, essentially. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. But ESPN, you don't have to, to draft him twice, which I don't really know how I feel, honestly. 
Uh, if you draft him once, it's kind of like maybe you should be taxed a pick later in the draft if you pick Otani first overall. I don't know, just a thought. But the pitching perspective, uh, he's been even better than last year as a pitcher. And he was dominant last season with a 3.18 ERA. This season, in 87 innings, he has nine wins, which is the same he had last year in 130. He struck out 123, 238 ERA, .99 whip. Unbelievable value for Otani. He's just stupidly good. I talk about him probably more than any other player on this show, so I don't need to spend too, too much time on him. He's been roughly... I mean, it's hard, like, it's hard to gauge ADP, especially because these numbers kind of average out both versions of him. But you're very happy if you drafted Otani. I don't think there's too much debate about that there. Let's keep it going with Manny Machado. Manny Machado is having it's, – it's cool. He's cooled off. For sure he's cooled off, but this is still one of the better seasons he's had in his career. Uh, now, this last month has really – driven the numbers down with his 212 average, but he's still ending up or going into the all-star break with 56 runs, 15 homers, 51 RBIs, and seven steals with a 303 batting average. He's a 20th ranked player, and he's another guy very close to ADP. His ADP was 21.8, 16th on ESPN, and then everywhere else was pretty much 21 to 23 range, 23 on Yahoo, 21 on the NFBC. He's been great. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been kind of shitty recently. For sure, but uh, there's no reason to think that he won't turn it around after a bit of rest here. And I say turn it around, like he's still been hitting home runs. It's just overall the base hits have been a little more scarce recently. Uh, I'm not worried. There's there's no there's no need to be selling him or anything like that. It's completely fine to just hold on to Machado there. Let's keep it going with Ryan Helsley. We'll get through I think 25 today, 24. We'll just go for a few more minutes here. Helsley was not being drafted anywhere. He was someone that was just a waiver wire pickup, and he's now got five wins, eight saves, 57 strikeouts, a .69 ERA, and a .67 whip. Absolutely absurd. He's 78% rostered on Yahoo and less on ESPN. If he is available, he needs to be added. He's getting the save opportunities now fairly regularly. He's striking out a shit ton of batters. He needs to be rostered. Uh, not too much really needs to be said about him. He's been great. He should be the main closer down the stretch over there in St. Louis. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up with like 15 to 20 saves somewhere in there. Uh, I, that would be my guess. Mookie Betts, he is really unique because, well, one, he has outfielded second base eligibility, which is just great. You'd love to see that. And he's also missed some time here. So if he had not missed any time, if he just stayed going, he would have already surpassed his home run total from last season. He's at 20. Last year was 23. Uh, last year, the RBIs were at 58. This year, 47. He's go he's already had a better year this year, even if he didn't play anymore, than what he did last year. In that Dodger lineup, there's really there's no need to worry about him, even though it has been a bit of a slow month, for sure. Uh, but if you look where he was being drafted, on average, he was a 10th pick, 13 ESPN, uh, 10 on, or sorry, 11 on Yahoo, 12 on NFBC. He's the 22nd ranked player on totals, and he has missed some time, so... It's completely reasonable to think that he would be there. No worries about Mookie Betts. Garrett Cole is the 23rd ranked player to this point on the season. You like what you're getting out of Garrett Cole. Now, I, I honestly think that this is the last year he's going to be drafted in the first round. Even though he's still produced great numbers with strikeouts and ERA and whip, I just think that he will be surpassed by a couple of pitchers and a couple of players for next season will go higher. So when you, whenever you're doing these kind of exercises, you have to say, who is going to go ahead of him? So... I think Corbin Burns is going to go ahead of him. 
I think Shane McClanahan will go roughly at the same place, and I think Alcantara will probably be in that same range as well. We got to remember Julio. Uh, we got to remember Tatis should be back in the first round next year because he fell down because of his injury. Uh, Ronald Acuna is outside of the first round, so he'll be back in there next year. There are a lot of options for players who will move up. Jordan Alvarez is another option. I think that Cole will probably go in the second round. Now, this year he went pick six on average, 6.6. He's giving you great stuff. There's no question. I just think people are – I think what's the right way to put this? It's hard to know how to phrase this. I just think that he's not the sexiest fantasy player, and I think people will be ready to – find different options he's been a little bit inconsistent there's been a couple of really bad outings there was a really bad one against Minnesota uh, earlier in June he had not a great one against Boston recently it happens but I think that overall we'll see him probably drafted in that 15-ish range next year I wouldn't expect it to be six again Uh, he's still been great he still had great value just inside the second round there but uh, I don't know I have a feeling we'll revisit this later on perhaps that he will be probably the third or fourth pitcher taken next year as opposed to the first like he was this year. A couple more players we'll talk about. Francisco Lindor has had himself quite the bounce back season. He's already got more RBIs than last year. He's got as many steals, a higher batting average, nearly as many home runs, and he was heavily discounted this year, pick 54. So Yahoo, he went around 38. He went as low as about 58 on ESPN. So there was a bit of a range there. But, I I mean, I remember touting him up in the preseason because you get such a discount. The year before, he was going at the end of the first round, from what I remember, like pick 9, pick 10. You're getting a discount of 40-plus picks because of an offseason? Absolutely no question. I was in on Lindor, and I have him everywhere. I have him in, like, at least half of my leagues. He's been fantastic. The Mets lineup is just fantastic. I love it. Pretty much nine deep. Pretty much everybody in there can hit from Nimmo down to whoever, McNeil and Canna and Escobar. Everybody hits. Great team. They're going to have DeGrom coming back. No reason to think that this team can't go all the way, hypothetically. Lindor has been a great value. About as, not, not as good as you're going to find, obviously. like That would probably be Gonsolin here of the guys we talked about today. But just really solid production from the mid-rounds where really he shouldn't have dropped this low but I understand that he did because of his poor year last year. So I ended up getting through 24 picks for two rounds. It's, it's about what I expected here. Uh, we'll cover the next couple of rounds tomorrow, and maybe even on Wednesday we'll see uh, what, what's going to happen this week. Not really too many surprises in these first couple of rounds. The major ones for me, and I think for you guys as well, are Gonsolin and Helsley. Everybody else, I mean, Swanson as well, but Swanson is a very good player with a bit of a track record of success here. So it's not as surprising with him. Uh, Helsley is completely out of the blue. Gonsolin also pretty much completely out of the blue here, although he was pretty good last year. He was nowhere near this good. About what you would have expected. A lot of these guys are being drafted inside of the top 30, 40-ish, which is... Like I said a couple times at the beginning, it's very hard to get value out of those first couple of rounds, to get equivalent value. When you're drafting the first overall pick, the odds are he's not going to end up number one at the end of the season. Very hard to reach that value. But I think for the most part this year, everybody was pretty correct with the way everybody was was being drafted. Uh, There have been some guys who haven't lived up to their expectations. 
and there's obviously been others who have far exceeded theirs. But as a whole, I think the community did did a pretty good job this year in forecasting uh, production. So well done, everybody, for your drafts. I'm assuming that you guys have a hopefully at least one or two players that I mentioned here today. Uh, hopefully you didn't get screwed too early or too much by drafting too early or drafting guys like Walker Bueller and Ozzy Albies and, you know, Salvador Perez and so on. I drafted a couple of those guys. I have a few Perez shares. I have a few Trevor Story shares. Who, he's been kind of up and down. <clears throat> there have been, I have a lot of Walker Bueller, or I had a lot of Walker Bueller. I've dropped him in some cases. It's very hard to get that value, but I think as a whole, we did a pretty good job there. So that, that will do it for us today. I hope you guys enjoyed this. It's a little bit different than what I've done, but I wanted to just go over these first couple of rounds, and we will do it again tomorrow, the next couple of rounds, to just see roughly how we did in the preseason in terms of projecting, in terms of drafting, and in terms of what we see now as the actual product. So we'll see you again tomorrow. We'll pick it up from pick 25, which I below or from pick 25, from value slot 25, I guess. Is Bryce Harper. He'll be the guy we start with tomorrow, and then we'll follow it up with Kyle Schwarber. We'll start with a couple of Phillies there, and then we will keep going, try and round out the top 50. So go ahead and check out my article that I wrote yesterday. I reshared it this morning. It's on my Twitter, at JoeOrico99. Just talk about five players that you guys should consider adding going forward. A uh, little bit of a help down the stretch here. Two relievers and three starters that I really think you guys should take a look at. I'll let you guys go for today. Rate, review, subscribe, download, follow on Twitter, all that great stuff. We'll see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody.